Blog Talk Radio. Hi, this is Russ Terry, founder and CEO of Life Coach Radio Network. Today's sponsor is Audible.com, a leading provider of spoken audio entertainment and information. Listen to audiobooks whenever and wherever you want. Get a free audiobook when you sign up for a 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com slash lifecoachradio. That's audibletrial.com slash lifecoachradio. And now, here's today's show. Hi, everybody. You're listening to Being a Leader live with Brenda Baird. Thank you so much for tuning in. I'm your host, Brenda Baird, and along with hosting this radio program, I am a certified professional coach and energy leadership master practitioner. My clients include individuals, teams, and leaders of both small and large organizations. I partner with my clients who want to build self-confidence, create clarity and purpose, and improve satisfaction in their relationships, life, and career. I guide people to find the answers within themselves, making it possible for them to achieve the results they desire. We are going to have a fantastic conversation today, and if you want to join in, please dial 646-716-9397. Press 1. You'll get you into the queue, and uh, we'll answer your questions live on the air. If you're not able to call in, you can simply send your questions to Brenda at BrendaBairdCoaching.com. Well, being open-minded, it can sometimes be really tough, and that's the topic of our show today. Most of us are raised with a particular set of beliefs and values, and throughout our lives, we tend to surround ourselves with people who share those same values and beliefs. Therefore, it can be really difficult to remain open-minded when we're faced with a new idea or opportunity that perhaps will stretch us or challenge us uh, to go against what we consider the status quo. For some, it seems like being open-minded is really easy. It comes effortlessly, just like breathing. And for others, having an open mind can be a little more challenging, something that they have to work on and make an effort to obtain. So whether or not you consider yourself to be open-minded or not, today's guest is going to motivate you with his story about remaining open-minded and how doing so has led him to find great professional success in his business. Listeners, I'm delighted to introduce Bill Gertine, CEO, Chief Enthusiasm Officer of The 800-Pound Gorilla, a sales and marketing consultancy whose subsidiary Stadium Gorilla is one of the premier sports ticket sales training specialists in North America. Stadium Gorilla Sales Training has partnered with over 75 professional sports teams from both the major and minor leagues to help their staffs break sales records and dramatically improve their sales ability. Welcome, Bill, and thank you for being on the show with us today. Great introduction, Brenda. It sounds like I would like to hear my own interview. Thank you very much. (laughs) You're very welcome. You know, Bill, every time I read your bio and I see Chief Enthusiasm Officer, I just (laughs) smile uh, and giggle. So tell us a little bit more about why that title. Well, what I intend to do with the teams that I work with and the groups I work with is I want to inject a little shot of enthusiasm with them. And, you know, the titles that everyone seems to have had have been so darn boring. You know, CEO or CFO or account executive. It drove me crazy that everybody's card had an executive or account or, or sales or something in there. And I don't want to stray away from that, but I thought, what could make me unique? What would differentiate me from the rest of the group? Well, as you have known me, I'm, I'm a pretty enthusiastic guy, and so chief enthusiasm officer seemed to kind of fit. And so uh, I put it on my business card just for fun to see what people would say, and people loved it, and I stuck with it, and it's been my title ever since. Yeah, that's really fun. Well, certainly you are enthusiastic, so I think the title fits the man. That's great. <laughs> Thank you. Well, share, yeah, share with our listeners a little bit more about your background and some of the early days of your career, if you would. Well, I was destined to be on the radio, and I don't know if anybody grew up this way where you thought, you know, I am going to be somebody someday, and, it's, and, and you think of this at 8 or 9 or 10 years old, 
and it was at eight or nine or ten that I figured out I was going to be on the radio. And I was destined to be the next Larry Lujak, who at that time, Brenda will know, was the big top 40 jock on WLS, the big 89 in Chicago. So that was my goal. I was going to be the next Lujak. And so my whole goal was really to try to become that. At 16, there were several of us that jumped into a car, drove up to Chicago, and took the class three or the third class telecommunication license, which you needed to be on the air. We're all 16 years old, five of us in this beat up little car. And we all went to the Dirksen Federal Building to take the test. It was None of our parents should have allowed us to go in the first place because we live an hour away from the city and it's big and scary. But we went, we parked, we actually took the test. We studied on the way up. And all of us passed the test. Well, I think I was the only one to ever use it. And I ended up on the air at 16. And so literally I was the, the youngest licensed radio broadcaster in the state of Illinois. Wow. And, and began kind of unauspiciously doing midnights at our local rock and roll radio station, which at the time was WBYG. Uh, but what a fabulous radio station. It was pirate rock and roll. You played whatever you wanted. It was literally what radio was kind of in all the movies that you read about in the 70s, the early FM radio stations in the 70s and 80s. That's what we were. And so I really found my calling in that. I absolutely loved it. I got to do uh, morning drive at 18 years old, which is unheard of today. And that's where I wanted to be. This is where I was going to be. Well, at 21, I figured out where the money was, and it wasn't on the air. In fact, it was a minimum wage job. One of the biggest prerequisites of hiring people at the time was to make sure that they showed up. You know, if you're on it, if you're this, if you have the 7 p.m. to midnight shift, and your guy is coming in that's going to relieve you at midnight till six in the morning, the biggest thing was to make sure that he shows up. And you know, fortunately for me, not only did I want to be there and want to show up, I was, I actually had a, a knack for that. And so, you know, I became doing this and enjoyed it. But I also enjoyed the sales aspect of life. And so I, I started a business in college. I was a T-shirt guy. Uh, printing and, and designing custom T-shirts for my small college that we had with intramural teams. So I had this kind of combination sales background and radio background. Mm-hmm. And so when I graduated from school, the owner of the station wanted to hire me, but there was no on-air positions at the time. Ooh. And so he said, well, you know, we've got this territory we've never explored before in our sales department. I will pay you $125 a week to drive up 30 miles to University Park and, and uh, South Chicago Heights, it was called at the time, and several other places, and see what you can find up there in terms of advertising sales. And so I said, well, oh. it's a job out of school. I'll give it a shot. <laughs> and so I'm all excited. You know, I'm living at home, so there's not a lot of expenses. You know, $125 a week. I'm working for my dream station. And, you know, I'm just fumbling around just trying things. I had no idea what I was doing. I, you know, I had a shiny <laughs> new briefcase, but that was it. Yeah. And, it, it, and fortunately for me, I had a love for the station. And it was obvious when I walked into places that I had some enthusiasm for what I was doing. Now, when I took the sales job, the people on air didn't care for that very much. For those who've worked in radio, there's this, you might be aware of this, or in, in some other places that you might have worked, there's this animosity between the sales side and the programming side. The yeah. on-air guys think the salespeople make all the money. And the sales guys think that nobody on the air works very hard. <laughs> and so you don't really go to one or the other. You just you stay in your niche and you kind of, you know, you're there. That's kind of your personality. You're either an on-air guy or you're a sales guy. Well, when I started on to the on to the sales side, people didn't give me a chance to survive at all. They thought, "Oh, Bill is going to crash and burn in this." And, and they probably had squares that they had bet on each other as to when my last day in sales was going to be. <laughs> uh, but in seven months, I was billing thirty percent of the radio station's revenue. Oh, that's awesome. And. So it, it's one of those I was going to prove them wrong kind of situations, and I really have not looked back. And so I, I, it was the beginning of an absolute love affair with broadcast media sales. I was there 25 years. Uh, was fortunate enough to be 
uh, in small markets just outside of the Chicago metro, working as a senior sales rep, a sales manager, uh, a GM for a time, a general manager, actually owned a piece of a radio station for a time and then sold it when I left. Uh, but it was an amazing career that I can look back and say, gosh, I learned so much and was able to help so many people build their businesses. Yeah. So here it is, a full circle moment for us uh, on the radio airwaves today. <laughs> Not the same kind of radio, internet radio, but radio all the same. So uh, it's really well, and fun. The odd part is, and, and if I can reveal just a little bit of this, Brenda, with, with, with you and I, I mean, we, we went to high school together, just kind of full disclosure for your audience. We did. Uh, and Brenda was the owner of a very successful communications company here in town who was one of the bigger advertisers in town. And so uh, it wasn't so long ago that I brought you out to lunch to ask you kind of how you're doing things because I was very impressed with how successful you were being in your own small business. And so before I started this company, you and I actually had a chance to talk about this. I don't know if you remember that lunch or not, but it it was very impactful to me. Oh, well, that's really great to hear. I'll tell you, those early days in the communications business was very much the same as yours. Uh, when I decided to go into business for myself, I opened a store in Northfield Square Mall, which is the local mall where we grew right. up. And it had only been uh, built for, oh, maybe maybe a year. And the the folks that I had always admired, my mentors and role models, were all saying to me, no one is ever going to buy a cell phone from you in the mall. <laughs> and they just, <laughs> and I was like, really? Because I think they will. <laughs> and uh, by gosh, they did. So, <laughs> and, You proved and we them wrong, then. didn't you? Yeah, we did. And we really, when um, Ameritech, Ameritech Cellulars, who we represented at, a time, at that time, uh, Mike's company was actually the first retail kiosk to sell cellular phones in a mall environment um, in the state of Illinois. And today it's just wow. commonplace there, you know, that, that wow. is just about how you get your phone. So very similar, you know, not a lot of support, you'll never survive. And then we, we went out and showed them. <laughs> That's, That's great. fun. Yeah. And so now today you have the 800 pound gorilla. So what right. was the dream that you had for yourself that helped you sort of to move that into action? Well, it was probably 12 or 13 years ago. And it was really when the iPod was invented, for those who remember that. I mean, it was a big Mm. device that became kind of ubiquitous in the marketplace for listening to music instead of listening to the radio. And I began to look at our local media and the local landscape, and I thought, gosh, I don't think radio is going to be as relevant as it used to be years ago. You know, in, in, when I began in radio, we really enjoyed, I don't want to say a monopoly, but we enjoyed a very privileged position in the lives of people. Uh, the school closings and the tornado warnings and the things that people yeah. needed to know to be informed were always on our radio station. And we were looked upon in our markets as pseudo-celebrities. But we yeah. earned that. We were the news leaders. We were the ones who did investigative reporting. We're the ones that knew all the stuff in town. And so we enjoyed very large listenerships. And I saw that fragmenting. I saw with the beginning of the iPod and, and satellite radio and many of the other things that were happening, I saw I, radio is going to be less relevant to people. And so I began looking for an alternate career, something that I might be able to morph into that would allow me to use all these skills that I had within the, the radio industry. And frankly, I didn't have much self-confidence that I'd be anything other than an old, tired radio guy by the time I was dead. <laughs> and I was, I was introduced to the speaking industry uh, through a mutual friend who was about to take over his father's bank. He was turning 40 years old, he was coming to town, and he was about to be the president of the local bank. And I was invited to his home for a dinner party, and we were hanging out, and we were talking about his entry into the bank and how it was going to change when he was there because the bank was not very customer service friendly, and he was going to change that. He had found a book that he was going to train to the rest of the group. He hadn't found anybody to train that, but he yeah. was going to use that. And so I just kind of asked him, I said, what, what book are you talking about? 
and it happened to be one called Inside the Magic Kingdom, which was written by Dr. Tom Canellan. And he had given me a copy of the book, and I said, well, you know, I'd kind of like to try my hand at that. I've done lots of training in the past. I'd done, you know, sales training for our people, hired dozens of different reps that had gone on to other things, but had never really trained an entire group before. And I thought this might be a good entree to that. And I asked him, would you mind if I read the book to see if there was a chance that I might be your guy? And he said, absolutely. I would love you to be our guy. So I read it, saw some potential in it. So I created a program of, of uh, customer service based on that book. And yeah. I did it three, di- three, three different times for one-third of the bank each time, and it went over marvelously well. It was a lot of fun for me. The bank employees enjoyed it a lot. They changed over their mindset into one of a service culture. And then maybe six or seven months later, I'm still doing the radio thing, mind you, uh, I went back to the bank president. I said, Jeff, it, it, I'd like to do this to some other, for some other people. And he said, Bill, I thought you'd never ask. He said, you yeah. really have a knack for this. And he says, I will let, you may do the very same program with one, cons- one consideration. You may not do any other banks for at least a year. <laughs> I said, deal. Yeah. Deal. And yeah. so that became kind of my entree. And so one of the things I have learned now as a professional speaker, I've joined the National Speakers Association, and it has been an amazing resource. And anyone that's interested in looking into that, if you believe there's some, a message in you that needs to get out, uh, the National Speakers Association, nsa-speaker.org, is one of the most incredible resources you will ever find. There are local chapters, and there are, are the national chapter, which has a national conference each year, which I do not miss. Mm. to learn what the business of influencing others is all about. And so I I started in doing some of that. What I was told at the very beginning, and I I was very fortunate to have an audience with Mark Victor Hansen, who who many of you will know is the author of the Chicken Soup for the Soul series of books. Yes. Uh, Mark and I had the chance to to chat for an extended period of time, and one of the things he said to me at that time when I was just starting was, Speak for free until you no longer have to speak for free. And so <laughs> I took that to heart. And so I did all kinds of chamber of commerce things, rubber chicken dinners, those sorts of you just just to get out and speak on things. And yeah. to begin with, it was more of a generalist sort of thing. Someone would say, well, can you speak on customer service? Uh, sure, I could. Well, can you speak on leadership? Oh, yeah. Can you speak on time management? Oh, yeah, I can speak on that too. And so, you know, you, you became a generalist until such time as you really started resonating with people and you kind of find what your niche is. Mm -hmm. And so I began kind of doing this on the side. Well, at the same time, I just needed more time to try to develop this career. And so I thought, how am I going to do that? How am I going to build this career? And this is a good tip for any of the people that are out there listening and and thinking, gosh, I want to try my hand at a career too uh, or something different. I was able to transition, and and I was then hired after 25 years in radio. I was hired by our local hospital to develop some of the market niches that they were looking to develop in their post-acute care line. And I took that job, and I requested a four-day work week, four 10-hour days. And I said, I need one day a week to be able to build this boat in the basement that I'm doing with public speaking. And... The gal who was hiring me looked me square in the eye, and she said, why in the world would we hire you if we can hire somebody else five days a week? And I looked her right back, and I said, because you'll get more out of me in four days than anybody else you can hire at five. <laughs> and she said, that's all I need to hear. You're hired. <laughs> and, so I, and, and I guess that's one of the tenets, and I, I wanted to bring this out as part of our interview, Brenda, because I think this is really important, is that people who want to become somewhat independent and try something new, something that they're a little afraid of, have to be unafraid to bet on themselves. Yeah. That they would feel confident enough in their own abilities that that they would put all the chips in and say, this is who I am, and I'm willing to bet it all to make it happen. Yep. And I was able to do that. And so uh, for a good three and a half years, I lived a dual life. Four days a week, I was the market representative for the hospital, and one day a week, I was this guy trying to build a speaking career. 
And lo and behold, one of the opportunities that came my way uh, was with the Chicago Bulls. And they had needed a trainer to do a three-day sales program for their brand-new people that had come into their sales department, their ticket sales department. Would Ah. I be available? Could I do that? Is that something I have done in the past, and would I be interested in putting a bid in on that? I said, absolutely. (laughs) Yes, please. And, wow. uh, and and so I talked to the gentleman there at the Bulls, Dave Dowd is his name, and, and he and I uh, talked, and, and he asked, he said, okay, well, uh, you know, would you be available at this time? We've got six or seven other people we're looking at. Would you be able to put in a bid? And I said, absolutely. And I, the smartest thing I may have ever said was, well, what sort of budget do you have to work with? And he shot me a number, and it was really low. But it was a start, right? And it was the Bulls. Wow. And so at the time I said, you know, I could do it for that. And Dave said, you would? I said, yeah. I said, okay, you're hired. And I hung up the phone and I said, oh, my gosh, what do I do now? <laughs> and so hey, I, Bill, I think we one of those. caller on the line. Hey, good. Who's that? Hey, how about it? So we have a caller, and the last four digits of your phone number is 7660, and your mic is live. So caller 7660, tell us your name and where you're from. My name is Chris Torres, and I am calling into the Linda Stephen Jones Show. Oh, I'm sorry. This is being a leader with Brenda Baird. I'm sorry. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. There goes our next future leader. She could have been (laughs) our next future, and she gave it up just then. Man, I can't believe that. Let's have somebody else call in. The next person that calls in, is not. they're (laughs) going to be the next future leader. I'm certain of that. I'm certain of it, too. So, listeners, if you want to join, just dial 646. 716-9397. You're listening to Being a Leader, live with Brenda Baird, and we have Bill Gertin here, Chief Enthusiasm Officer of the 800-Pound Gorilla. (laughs) That's fabulous. (laughs) Uh, So so we were talking a little bit about how I got the job, and I didn't know what to do next. And I think what ends up happening, and this is another thing that I think for those who are interested in moving forward in, in something new for them or being open to that, is to take a leap that you don't know where the outcome is going to be just to see what happens and to learn from that. There's a phrase, and I don't know who coined it, but I I really like it, and I use it often, jump and the net will appear. Uh, And and in this case, I jumped. I I had a three-month window of opportunity to create a three-day sales training program so I took all the things that I had used in radio sales, which, by the way, is very similar. Selling a sports ticket, like a season ticket or a group pass or something, is not too dissimilar from selling an ad on the radio. Uh, there are the same basic tenets that go into it, the same introductions, the same kinds of things. Uh, there needs to be a kind of a needs analysis get to get into it. But most of the sports tickets that are sold are actually done via telephone. And so it is a telesales job. Oh, and so, yeah. uh, so I took all of those things that I had learned and, and had taught others then in radio, and I adapted them for telephone sales, combined it with some of the information the Bulls had given me uh, that was proprietary to them about the kinds of things that their people needed to know, and whipped up a three-day sales session. And so I showed up at the United Center at the appointed day and time, and Man, I was nervous. Whew. I, 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 I'm sure some people's knees, I'm sure, were watching me, my knees knock in the front on that first day. Yeah. Um, but I got through it, and, uh, and everyone was very complimentary toward the end. I mean, I put my all into this thing. And right now, I can say that this is the 11th year that the Bulls have been my clients. And so they are my longest running and my very first client ever. Uh, all thanks to me jumping and the net appearing. And I have not looked back. Uh, Now, I must say, it took three or four years after that Bulls gig 
to be to really click and, and to make this a full time profession. And so, if I could fast forward a few years, uh, I was invited to an NBA job fair to present to 75 VPs of sales of the NBA who were all in the room uh, during this job fair slash meeting that they were holding in Chicago. And so I was given a one-hour audition. They were looking for new sales trainer talent. They wanted to kind of showcase that. Uh, Dave was kind enough to suggest my name and also suggest that I wouldn't have to be uh, reimbursed for travel because I was right here, so that worked out well. And so I was one of three people that were auditioned by the NBA VPs of sales. Gee, no pressure in that presentation, right? <laughs> yeah. That was, the, that was really a watershed moment for me. And I think all of us can look back on times in our lives where this was kind of a make-or-break moment. Mm-hmm. And that's another thing for listeners today, if, you, if you're really thinking about this and really moving, wanting to move forward and maybe not knowing how to do that. To recognize those moments and to take a deep breath and say, I am going to nail this. I am going to knock it out of the park. And then to go and do your very best mm-hmm. is the most exhilarating thing that maybe can ever happen to you. And so that's what happened yeah. to me. So I went up and uh, did my thing. I had some role play exercises I did with vice presidents that I just picked out of the audience. I had no idea who they were and they knew who each other was though. And so they were enjoying me kind of poking fun at them and, and, uh, after that hour, I had five or six teams come right up to me and say, hey, we'd like to hire you. Uh, and I never looked back. I went back to the hospital and said, you know, I've been building this thing, and I think it's time for me to cut the ties and, and actually try this full time. And they thought I was nuts at the hospital. Yeah. yeah. They said, what are you going to go do? What are you going to make money doing? <laughs> And you will never be able to do that, right? <laughs> yeah. We're not going to hold your job here. You realize that, right? Yeah. And so, you know, I said, no, this is what I need to do. And I think all of us, regardless of how old you are or what you do in life, there, be, there comes a time where you have to say to yourself, it's now or never. I mean, I will never have a better opportunity to move forward in this uh, this opportunity than right now and to be able to do that and to say I'm going to take that leap takes yeah. a, a great deal of courage on your part but again you you, you always want to try to bet on yourself and that's yeah. what I did and have never looked back yeah bet on yourself and never doubt that you'll be successful and that that's right having that right frame of mind that positive thought is really what I think propels us forward. If you think I'm going to fail, then you will. <laughs> you know? That's right. Exactly uh, right. There's an, old, there's an old saying, you know, uh, think you'll fail or think you won't. In either case, whatever you think is what's going to happen. So just That's being right. positive um, that you're, that you're going to go forward and go to make something happen. I remember in, in my days I used to say failure was not an option. And I didn't mean that in the arrogance or the um, sense that I wouldn't tolerate someone making a mistake. But in my mind, by saying failure wasn't an option, it meant that we're just going to have to keep going for the goal. And that may mean we have to change the route we're going to take to get there. But mm-hmm. if we, you know, if we just keep looking at the at the goal and what the goal is, we'll get there. And so we won't yeah. fail. Uh, we may have to adjust, but we won't fail. So same is true uh, and, for you. What a, what a leap, though, from being a local person at the local community hospital to such a huge uh, venue change in terms of delivering product. I mean, that really had to uh, that had to be a huge chasm just mentally to get over. Yeah, and it was a huge chasm for my wife to get over, quite honestly. You know, I've, I've got three kids, and at the time, neither of them, all, none of them were in college. Uh, they, you know, so my wife was looking at me saying, okay, so where's this <laughs> money going to come from again? Yeah. Uh, but, but she was incredibly supportive of me, and I, I could not do it without my wife, Sherry, by my side. She has been... The, such support to that, and, and that's another tenet. If, if you're looking to do this, have a support network that will be by your side, uh, even if things are not going exactly as you'd hoped. Uh, they don't have to be your partner in the business. 
because you know it, Sherry's just now getting into some of the pieces of the business as it expands. Uh, but you know we're, we're the kind of people that have been married now 28 years, but maybe not be able to work together all that well. Yeah. Um, but it, it has worked out extremely well in that when I'm gone and when I'm doing my thing, she is holding down the fort here, and I can't tell you how important that's been to me being able to do what I do. Yeah, yeah. I've, I'm the same way. I don't know what I'd do without without Tom. He's always been my greatest advocate. He's been my biggest critic, and he's you know my biggest supporter. And and yeah. the whole the whole thing he's there to tell me when something's not working and when it is working. And that's what I value so much about uh, the role that he's played in my professional life. And even in my personal life is that um, our relationship is so strong that he can say, you know, that I wasn't the best job. <laughs> and, uh, and you, you know, and you trust that and you hope that cause it doesn't do you any good for someone to tell you you're doing great when you're not doing great. Yeah, so, yeah, you got to have yeah. an honest assessment. When you, know, you have to be able assessment. to somebody to be able to tell you if you have warts or not. You know, it, it, uh, right. you, know, it, it, you need what, and I call it in, a, in the training program. I call it, it: Do you have a fearless truth teller in your life that isn't afraid to tell you what you need to hear? Yeah, and yeah. I think that's you one know, of those to, important things too. I think it is too. Today's show is really focusing on. Um, being open, but that's also another part of being open is being open to hearing what people have to say. Um, yes. Yeah, as well as as opportunity and take from it what you can. You know, you don't have to take it as the gospel, but you should take from it what you can in order to make yourself better or tr- something to try to do differently. So, but I'm curious, Bill, when you think about being open, uh, what does that actually mean to you? Open, in my mind, means that maybe you're doing it great, but you're not doing it to your optimum or to the optimum of people that you're affecting. Mm -hmm. That you would have the ability to look at yourself and step back a little bit and take your ego out of it a little and say, is there another way to make this happen? And to get feedback from others and to take it not critically or to you know be down in the dumps about the fact, oh, they don't like the way I do this or that, but to, to look at it objectively and say, wow, that's really good constructive feedback. Can I do something differently now with that to make myself better? I yeah. can't tell you the number of people that have, have come to me with great feedback, positive and negative, that has brought me along in my career. And, and I would say for those who are interested in this, if, if you're in sales or in speaking or whatever you're doing, if you have the ability to videotape or audio tape yourself doing what it is you do well, it is the single biggest tool you can have in, in trying to figure out how you can improve. Hmm. Uh, many of the sales reps that I work with as part of my training, we do videotaping of their sales presentations. And then we we go back and with everybody in the room, we look at their video. And I got to tell you, it is excruciating for those people to watch themselves screw up and look so badly and fumble around. And they know that now they're clicking their pen and they didn't know they were clicking their pen and they didn't know they were always scratching their ear or saying the word, um, or whatever else is going on. But how valuable is that for them to now know from themselves watching themselves how they should improve. And, and so to be open to that sort of thing and to say, I want to be vulnerable to that, but not vulnerable, vulnerable to the sense that it would be you know, negative, but vulnerable, open to say, hey, I, I'm doing well, but I'm by no means perfect, and I, I, I'm interested in others' viewpoints. Yeah. So how did you actually um, remain open during the times that – you were starting the 800-pound gorilla, and the outcome was really not certain. Well, I have to say, Brenda, at times I wasn't. Um, mm. That was a trial and error thing for me because my ego got in the way on more than one occasion. I really yeah. thought that I was doing it the best, and one of the things that I did, and, I, boy, this is going to be a very vulnerable moment for me, uh, <laughs> is uh, I, I – Role play exercises in sales are when someone who is being trained is like doing a, a practice call 
with a trainer, and the trainer is a person who might be a prospect that you'd be talking to, and it's a back-and-forth exercise designed to improve people's sales ability. And generally, it's done in the front of the room, and the way I do it is I, I take two chairs back-to-back, and I sit in one chair, and I'm the prospect, and the other person sits in the other chair, and they are using a script that we might use or, or going over a technique that we had just learned. And in the beginning, you know, this is my radio background talking, I thought it would be really funny to come up with lots of different accents of people. And so I would be like the New York Jewish guy who's just retired down in Florida. Or I would be something else, or I would be the Hispanic uh, you know, migrant worker, or something like that. Just really bad, stereotypical stuff. And you know, people thought it was funny. They didn't know who was going to you know, show up next for the next role play exercise. <laughs> and for a while, it was good. And so, you know, I kind of enjoyed that uh, notoriety because I do some voices and I've done some accents and I've studied accents, and so I can do them pretty well. Um, but I went too far with one particular client in which I will never be asked back again because wow. I became a gay florist. <laughs> and went on and on about the quarterback and how good he looked, and it was bad. And, and I, I am so embarrassed to say this today that I crossed the line so many times in that five minutes uh, that what I did not know at the time is that there were three individuals in the room uh, who were a member of the LGBT community. There you go. And literally uh, the the president of the company – let me know that I was no longer welcome in their building. Mm. And that was, a, that was a tough pill to swallow for me. Uh, yeah. I still, I still do role plays. I still have some fun. But yeah. I am extremely careful now to be sensitive to that which I should be, have been sensitive about from the very beginning. That it yeah. wasn't all about me. It was about what I needed my students to be able to do once the exercise was done and and so yeah i screwed that up big time but i, I got the feedback i learned from it and i corrected and it was right. a good thing i was open to that yeah yeah so there you go my vulnerable those, moment those, yeah that is a that would be a moment where you you know as it's probably coming out of your mouth you're thinking you know what this is not going over the way I had anticipated, you know, and, uh, yeah. but like you, like we've said, we all make mistakes, but mm. the mistake is really more a lesson than a mistake. What, what can I take from this situation in order to make me a better person? Right. And I know in my coaching practice, I get a lot of my clients who are so afraid to take steps because they will make mistakes. And so I yeah. think that that will be inspirational for them to hear from you, Bill, that, Yep, here's a time where I made a mistake, where I needed somebody to pull the net out and catch me because I really flubbed. Um, and I just stood back up and just took what I could from it and moved on to future success. So yeah. um, thanks for, you know, for being vulnerable with us today and sharing that story. Um, I yeah, think it'll be important. Uh, it, it, it certainly isn't the only time I've screwed up, and, and it won't be the last, but I, but I hope it's helpful. Uh, yeah. you know, there, there are times in which if, if you go off on your own, you may be thrown into situations where you have to either sink or swim and yeah. you have to make the best of a, a, a difficult situation. The Miami Heat some years ago invited me to their, their uh, open house that they were having during the draft lottery. For those who don't know sports very well, uh, the NBA has a lottery where they pick these ping pong balls and determine which of the worst teams in the league are going to get the number one, number two, and number three draft picks. And the Heat were not doing all that well at the time. And so uh, they had asked me to come down and work with their sales reps for face-to-face -face sales training in this situation where they were having this open house at their stadium during that draft lottery. So people were able to come in and enjoy some free food from their vendors. And they had some of their entertainers there at the stadium or within the arena. And they were going to watch live as the ping pong balls were going around to find out where they were going to be in the lottery. And this was the year that Derrick Rose was up as the lottery pick. Ah. And so at the time, 
didn't know who was going to be where, didn't know who. So that that was there was a lot of buzz about you know Derrick Rose and Michael Beasley, who was number two at the time. So I happened to be in the building, and part of the time that they were going to be spending with people involved doing a tour of the facility. So you could go into the locker room and see where the Miami Heat players you know put their stuff and where they dressed and and the uh, the workout room that they have and and you could kind of tour around and, and see where they chill out, like the foosball table and the video games and stuff that they all get, the pool table and stuff that they all get to chill out in before the games and such like that. Wow. So I, I, it was really cool. So they have expected a couple thousand people. And I had trained these people all day, the, the reps, how to do face-to-faces, shake the hand, look at their, you know, you, you look people in the eye, that sort of thing. And just before the, the doors opened, they had given some of the employees who were going to be working that day, including myself, a small tour like the others were going to be getting that day. So it was kind of cool for me because I had never been behind the scenes, so I'm looking around at, oh, wow, there's the whirlpools where Dwayne Wade gets it and you know, stuff like that. Yeah. So I wasn't paying much attention as I was going through, but it was just fun to, to experience. Well, when we got done with that tour, I got a kind of a panicked call from the DP of sales who I was working for. And come to find out, they were expecting about 2,000. But there were about 6,000 people lined up outside. And now this is a free event, and so they can't turn people away necessarily. But they needed to change their game plan radically. And so what what they asked me to do very quickly is to be a tour guide. I had just taken the tour a few minutes ago. Certainly, I would remember where everything is. And so literally, as they were opening the doors, they tossed me the T-shirt and said, here, put this on. (laughs) And so I ducked into the bathroom really quickly. I put the T-shirt on and come back out. And and some lady with an earpiece said, oh, here's one of the tour guides here. And 21 people are ushered in front of me, all (laughs) bright-eyed, smiling, waiting for this tour that I was about to give. Oh, man. And so... I just kind of played along and said, oh, it's great to see everybody. Let's go. And so I knew where the elevator was. And so we went over to the elevator, and we got in, and then I looked at the buttons. Now, for those of you who have not been to an arena and have seen the buttons, it's not like a a high-rise where you have the numbers 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, and so on. They have these two-letter combinations. So it's like P-B-R-A-R-C. And I have no idea where this tour is to begin. I mean, I was just in the elevator 90 minutes ago, but I had no idea. I didn't push the button. I didn't know where we started. (laughs) So I just pushed a button and said, here we go. (laughs) And so we ended up in the basement where all the pipes and stuff are with the inch of coating of dust. And so I'm thinking, okay, well, if I walk over here, I think I know where we go here. So I'm, I'm giving everybody kind of the tour, um, and if, there really wasn't a whole lot to see. So bottom, bottom line is I, I got lost, and I got everybody stuck in the basement. Oh, no. <laughs> and if it wasn't for me pounding on the door and the director of marketing being right there, I, I'll still, but to this day I have no idea why he was there, uh, we'd probably still be there. They would have never found you. <laughs> uh, yeah, we'd still be down there, and I'd still be in that black T-shirt that said Miami Heat on it. Uh, so everybody got out, and everybody had kind of a good laugh because of it. And, you know, it was the most interesting. And I had to kind of confess when we were down in the basement. I said, okay, I need to fess up, everybody. I don't work for the Miami Heat. I'm a sales trainer from Chicago. <laughs> And uh, and there were so many of you that came, and, and so I, I and so I kind of worked it around and did a little magic with that. And there was I remember this big guy, huge guy, looked like a maybe a construction worker or a bricklayer or something, who had his young son, about ten or eleven years old, that had this wrestling T-shirt on. He was kind of beefy too, and they were all excited about seeing the locker room. And I remember when we I first announced the fact that I was the sales trainer from Chicago. The big guy came right up to me, literally got in my grill and said, we are going to see the locker room, aren't we? <laughs> now, and, his son, <laughs> and his little 10-year-old son has got his arms folded, and he's like giving me this big scowl right next to him. 
And uh, so we did get out. They did get to see the locker room, but it was easily the most unique tour that the Heat has ever given. <laughs> but you have to be able to laugh about that afterwards and to say yes. you did your best. And yes. nobody afterwards thought I, that I did them wrong. It was just one of those things when you had these incidents that you just have to try to make the best of them. And, and frankly, they probably still talk about that tour today as I am right now. Uh, yeah. And uh, it ended up being good for everybody. Yeah. Well, we do have an email that has come in from uh, a gentleman by the name of John. Uh, he says he's been debating continuous improvement versus if it ain't broke, don't fix it with his coworkers. Mm. <laughs> I'm always pushing the status quo, but my colleagues say it's wasteful. What position do you guys take? Oh, interesting question. Wow. Um, there's so many variables to that. I, I hesitate to answer it uh, for everything. You yeah. know, certainly if it's a sales organization and they're interested in you know, the, the, the group that this person is managing, wants to keep everything the way it's always been, there's always going to be, for most workers, there will, there will be an interest in keeping things the way they are because that's safe, it's comfortable. The complaining begins when things start to change. And all of us have seen that in, in certain things that we have in our lives. If, you know, the, you know the, many years ago when they started having to dial area codes on telephones, you know, rather, you know, yeah. we used to have to just dial seven numbers. And then when the area codes came, I can remember what, what a pain in the butt that was. Oh, my gosh, I got to remember ten numbers now. Uh, but when it's forced upon people and they have to do it, it's a little different story. Uh, you you kind of go along kicking and screaming. Uh, I had, and, and, and I learned this from Pastor Bill Hybels at, uh, at Willow Creek Church. He gave a spectacular speech a few years ago. And he was talking about a car ministry that that church was involved with, that there were people that were donating cars to unwed mothers uh, who could help them get back and forth to work so that they could actually afford to raise a family in doing that. It was a wonderful ministry, and they had 25 cars that they had had donated from their congregation. And they wanted to, and what Bill Hybels wanted to do was expand that. He saw such joy in the ability of them to be able to get back forth to work, and so he wanted to make this bigger. Well, the people who started it were saying, no, 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 it needs to stay the size it is because if it gets too big, we won't be able to manage it. And, and so they had no re- they, they just felt as though they were fighting him the whole way of this. We want to just keep it small. And so I think that's kind of what your, your uh, email is saying. They, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. Others are wanting to keep it the same. What yep. Bill Hybels said at that time, he said, it's, and, and he discovered this during that time, he said that it is easier to show people and to influence people as to the risks of staying the same than it is to show them how much better it's going to be later on. Yeah. And so here's, how, here's how he did it. Rather than saying how great it's going to be or what, why we need to move this way, he said instead why it would be a mistake to stay where they are. Yeah. And so he began talking about how many other mothers will go without cars and how many more lives or how many things you could impact by moving forward and the risks of staying the same with the 25 that they have, which is terrific, but you would not be able to do the, the God's work and the impact that it would have if it were to be expanded. And so uh, the car ministry got expanded. If you show people the risks of doing nothing, I find that to be a far more powerful motivator than trying to push people into a place they don't want to go. Mm-hmm. So in the case of our email friend, I, uh, I don't know your business, I don't know the situation, but if you were to let people know how risky it is or the dangers that might befall that group, if they stay the same, you might have a yeah. better idea of, uh, might have a better opportunity to help them see the value in doing something differently. Yeah. I think the I, I agree with everything you just said. It was was brilliant. One thing that I might add to what you've said is, uh, again, we don't really know what John's situation is, what they're trying to change, and you know what business they're in. But from a coaching perspective, oftentimes if I see somebody who is resistant 
to change something, many times what will bubble to the surface is a level of perfectionism. And mm. that person suffers with that um, in that this is the way I've always done it and I can do this and I know how to do this and I can do it right. If you change it on me, I may not do it to that same level. And so there's a lot of blocks people will have about change. And I think with any change, there has to be a good change management um, communication at the front of the change um, to do just as you said, Bill, to really lay out what what's going to be the pain if we remain the same. Um, mm-hmm. And what will be the, not only that, but then also what would be the benefit of doing this um, to make a change. So I don't think change is good for change's sake, um, as, as they say, um, especially if the impact is really large and um, costs a lot of money, but the way you're doing it today is working. But um, I'm always up for taking a look at the status quo whenever, no matter what setting I've ever been in, if someone says, yeah, but this is how we always do it, that's immediately when I say, okay, we're throwing it on the table and we're looking at it because that's the clue right there uh, <laughs> that perhaps we need to make a change. So, <laughs> Absolutely. Great answer. Yeah. No, I would totally concur. Yeah. Good. So well, what I, do you think I, the we, listeners um, need to know um, if they're, you know, we're talking about all of these really great tenants, as you've called them, throughout the conversation, but what do you think the listeners need to know um, if they're getting ready to make a real shift in their career, um, what do you think of a skill they need or um, any advice for that? Well, I, I think you need to ask yourself, what am I good enough doing that I would bet on myself as potentially being the best in, or at least the best in a particular group in being? You don't have to be the best in the world or even the best in the country. Maybe you just need to be one of the best in your company. Yeah. Uh, But to say that, you know, this is something that I add, and and you might add to that certain other skills or tenets. I love the tool of Tom Rath's called StrengthsFinder 2.0. For those who don't know what that is, it's a a self-assessment that allows you to see of the 34 different strengths, which of the five strengths are most, uh, are yours and yours alone, not not yours alone, but your combination Mm -hmm. of the top five of yours. Yes. you know, you, I think it's a really good place to start, to find out what you're best at. You know, we f- spend so much time trying to figure out what's wrong with us. Uh, most often we don't spend time really kind of saying, well, what's right with us? What is it we've really got in terms of intuitively? What, what do we have within us that can be brought to the surface? And StrengthsFinder 2.0, is a, it's a small little book that has a code in the back of the book that you take a, an assessment online. And then from the 34 different talents or themes, you find out which of the five are your top five strengths. And uh, I'm actually certified in a a group called Core Clarity, which actually goes deeper into that. And for anybody that has any more interest in that, you're welcome to reach out to me uh, if you want to hear more about that. But it's, uh, I I heartily recommend the StrengthsFinder book just to give you some direction on that. Um, Yeah. Just feel good about yourself. You have to have a good self-confidence and you also have to have people around you that believe in you. Uh, yeah. It's a very lonely road sometimes if you don't have the kind of support behind you, uh, and, and it'll eat you alive. Yeah, it can. I know, you know, um, the show being a leader live with Brenda Baird, what we try to do is to explore topics about what it means to be a great leader. And some folks will say, well, I'm not a leader. Um, I'm, you know, I'm an individual contributor. And I have to say my philosophy is that we're all leaders somewhere in our lives. And most mm-hmm. importantly, we are the leaders of our own life. And so um, being open-minded, I think, is one of those um, critical um, skills for being a great leader, especially if uh, you have a group who wants to do something innovative or if you want to take your team to new heights, um, oftentimes moving from this is the way we've always done it mentality, like we talked earlier um, being able to get past that, I think, will help leaders to catapult themselves forward um, into success. So yeah. as you're thinking back, Bill, about uh, the 800-pound gorilla, the shift in your career from the radio station to the hospital, um, 
what were the most important decisions you had to make as a leader to grow your organization? Well, there were really three of them. To grow, I needed to create products that could work when I'm not in a marketplace, that could be there when I'm not there. Mm. Uh, It was raising my fees and having the courage to raise my fees in order to grow my business and to grow my influence. And it was getting help. Uh, Those are the three things. And I'll I'll take the third one first, the whole getting help thing. Uh, Up until five years ago, I did my own accounting. Well, that was stupid on my part. I mean, there are people that do this for a living, Bill. Come on, you can afford a decent accountant to at least count what you're making. And I was so militant about giving that up. And boy, that that five years ago, I can't tell you how much less stress I have in my life because I allowed somebody else to take that from me. And and, uh, and my wife continues to tell me that over and over again. And it's it's you know gradually sinking in, and that's helped a lot. Yeah. Um, The the raising my fees part. I want to talk about that a little bit because everybody here on the phone has some sort of, of of vision about what they're worth. And I would say to you that your value is dependent on the results that you achieve for others and not what you have earned in the past. And that's a really important concept for everybody to get their head around. You are probably limiting yourself in the earning potential that you have based on what you've earned in the past. If you're going to go into business for yourself or start into something this, ask yourself this. What is my net value to those who I come in contact with? How much value do I bring to others' lives with the work that I do? Because you may be undervaluing the kind of of influence that you have simply because you've only earned X amount of money perhaps your entire life. Right. And to have that vision to expand it a little bit beyond what you've normally done would be really important. Um, And the first one I mentioned was the creating the products or creating something that that I don't have to be there to be able to do. Uh, Brenda, you and I often are in this time and effort economy where, you know, we don't get paid until we go do stuff. Yeah. And, uh, you know, my goal in growing the business would be to create products that would be able to work for me even when I'm not there to help them work. And so I'm in the process right now of creating a, a video series. Uh, that can be done on a, an on-demand basis, as well as a mobile app that will help people do role plays more effectively. So those are the kinds of things that I'm, be, I'm able to then grow the business by doing without actually being in a market doing it. Yeah, that's great. Great advice. So, but that's I'm actually, not the right, thing that I'm actually writing beginning. that one down. <laughs> <laughs> I'm writing it down. <laughs> oh, that's fun. So, so if, yeah. I, if anybody has a question, I, I would love to have one caller. If, if you've got anything about sports, any fun things about like back stories or whatever, if I'm able to tell you, there's a couple of them I can't say, uh, just because I don't want to, you know, get the, the people who actually are responsible in trouble. Uh, <laughs> but uh, you know, anything about the sports world, perhaps, or what opportunities there are in sports, because. If you have a notion, if you want to go and maybe do something different or venture out on your own, uh, there are a lot of jobs in the sports world, if you happen to be a fan or enjoy sports, that that might be something you'd want to uh, explore, to be open to that. And there may be some potential for success in the sports world that I'd be happy to answer a question or two about. Oh, yeah. So remember the number to call in is 646-716-9397. And you so got to do it fast. How, yeah, because we're almost done. But tell us real quick, how do you maintain your motivation and inspiration despite, you know, the times where you've run into obstacles or pushbacks or setbacks? How do you remain positive? And- I, I attend conferences with like-minded individuals. Uh, the National Speakers Association uh, is my, my group of friends that I constantly go to because they go through the same things I do. Uh, it can be a fairly lonely existence on the road sometimes, and so they get that. They understand that speakers and trainers do the same kind of work, and they go through the same kinds of challenges. And so I look to them for motivation. I belong to my local chapter, uh, the Illinois chapter of the National Speakers Association, and, and as well as go to the, the national convention every year. I also look to my co-workers, the friends that I actually have as, on my client list. 
uh, to chat with them about what I could be doing differently, what they're finding success in, and that helps me then to help the next team because I'm the cumulative sum total of all of these different organizations, and then I can help the next one uh, kind of using the building blocks that I'm using with all the other teams. So that's what keeps me going. And, of course, yeah. the number one thing more than anything else is just keeping my family fed and, and uh, having them enjoy what I do because we get to go to some really cool sporting events. Oh, I bet. I'm a little bit uh, sports envy about that. But, uh, that's getting some great seats, I bet. <laughs> I'm, I'm very blessed, very fortunate yeah. to have some good friends that when we need to do, we can call on, and, and uh, we've seen some pretty <laughs> neat things, including one Super Bowl. Oh, that's awesome. That is awesome. Well, listeners, Bill is the author, actually, of two books, The 800-Pound Gorilla of Sales, How to Dominate Your Market, and Reality Sales. Sells, excuse me. So, Bill, you wrote the book. You're working on the video series. Um, you spend a lot of time in an environment that you truly love and helping people to sell more. Give us a taste of what it is you enjoy most about helping people unleash their potential. What's fascinating about selling and sales in general is that most people don't choose to be in sales themselves. Uh, They just sort of meander into something and and they know they can make a little money doing this. It's kind of like going to a Denny's. You don't really want to go there. It's not on your list. You just kind of end up there. (laughs) And so what I enjoy most is seeing people who are brand new at selling have the light bulb go on to see that it's not about pushing. It's about helping. It's about making a friend first and selling them second. It's about working with them to see what the best fit would be and to match them up and then to see the benefits of that that accrue afterwards, to have families get together at a game that don't get together very often or to see the fellowship that takes place when a church youth group goes out to a group outing. It's that sort of, of thing that, that I see others six, 12 months after my training, and they'll stop me in the hallway and they'll say, Bill, you were right. This is like yeah. the greatest thing ever. And I'll get these bear hugs uh, that are unlike anything I've ever experienced. And so that's what fuels me. And I, I'm so grateful for those people who have taken what I trained to heart and have used it and have found success with that. And, and uh, I don't think there's anything that can replace that. I, I'm, I'm uh, uh, very grateful, very blessed to have that uh, ability. Yeah, that's a testament to to the content you've delivered when you get that kind of feedback later and then you actually get to see it play out in action. So uh, that's, that's and for those who are funny. considering it, it's one of the reasons you should maybe consider it because you can affect other people's lives in more ways than you could ever imagine. you just got to reach out and you got to get on that skinny branch and give it a shot. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) I like that. So if you want to learn more about Bill's work or how he could help your organization's training teams, you can follow Bill on Twitter at, uh, excuse me, Twitter at 800poundgorilla or on LinkedIn. Mm -hmm. And there's a couple of websites they can go to, stadiumgorilla.com or billgertine.com. And Gertine is spelled G-U-E-R-T-I-N, billgertine.com. Listeners, be sure to tune in on September 27th for a very special show as I celebrate the 10th episode of Being a Leader Live with Brenda Baird. I'm going to have a special gift during that episode for all of the listeners, so be sure to tune in. The topic is going to be leading when you're not the boss. Oftentimes, uh, we're faced with that, Bill, and you've mentioned it a couple of times now today, being able to influence other people. So we're going to talk about that in a little more depth on Tuesday, September 27th at 1 p.m., 12 p.m. Central Time, right here on the Life Coach Radio Network. And listeners, you can follow me on Facebook and Twitter or visit BrendaBairdCoaching.com. The radio shows are archived there on my website. You just can find the link. And you can also get information about professional coaching and how it might help you to be your best self. Bill, your success story is inspiring. It was fun. It, uh, you gave us some great tips, some great tenants to live by. Thank you so much for sharing all of that with us today. Would you have any final thoughts for the listeners as we close out the show? 
Well, uh, thanks for the honor to be a part of this, too. And, and, and I've so enjoyed being able to share that. And I hope someone has taken a nugget or two away and said, yeah, maybe I can do that myself. Uh, once, once you know your gifts and you really have a, a fairly decent handle on what those gifts are, and you see the value that you bring to others by applying those gifts, the challenge becomes really just having the guts to go for what you know is that career destiny that you have. And I hope that as a result of listening to this and perhaps some of the other programs that Brenda brings, which are outstanding, that you get the courage that you need to be able to say, I'm going for this. And maybe you would look back on this broadcast, wherever you are today, on a podcast or whatever, and look back and say, that was the catalyst. That was the start of my story. Just as I've told mine to you today, I hope you'll have a story perhaps to tell Brenda on her 100th broadcast uh, that (laughs) that you might be able to call and and do. So I, I wish your listeners all the best. And Brenda, thank you so much for the honor of being on your program. Oh, Bill, it's really been a pleasure. I hope you'll come back again because I have a feeling there's a lot more we could talk about uh, when Uh, it comes to being a leader. Uh, This was a great show. Listeners, thank you for tuning in to Being a Leader live with Brenda Baird. I think that's a wrap, Tommy. So until next time, be safe and have fun. Bye, Bill. Have a great day. Thank you. Same to you. Bye-bye.